listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Caposa, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hi there, and welcome to the show again. Welcome back. It's Giovanna Caposa, your host, and I'm here with the uh, beautiful and talented and very present lovely woman, Kendra Kunov. I'm so excited to have her on the show today. You guys are going to love this topic. It's uh, juicy. It's interesting. I've already warned Kendra there might be a part two because there's just so much to say about authentic relating and everything she brings to the world and all of her magic. And I want to start off with reading a quote. Um, It's actually a testimonial from Rich Litvin, who is the author of the co-author of The Prosperous Coach and the founder of 4PC. And I want to read it because it's just so eloquent and it's, and it's exactly how I feel about Kendra in a lot of ways. And it's a beautiful quote. So he says that Kendra is one of the most powerful coaches and leaders I know. If you're looking to deepen your personal relationships, grow your business, build your team, or improve the communication and leadership skills of your team leaders, you would be well served to work with Kendra. Her guidance has supported me in scaling my events while simultaneously creating even deeper and more intimate experiences for our participants. Her impact is magical, and I can attest to that. Her impact is definitely magical. Kendra is the co-founder of Authentic World. She has been teaching, facilitating, and most importantly, practicing authentic relating and integral circling for the last 15 years. She works with organizations, leaders, and coaches who know that connection, truth, and integrity are actually access points to success. Kendra has consulted for companies such as Gentech and is currently on staff for 4PC, an elite mastermind for the top 4% of coaches in the world. She brings a genuine care for people as well as an extraordinary depth of insight in service of people living truly fulfilled lives. You can find out more about Kendra at KendraKunov.com. But for now, Kendra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's always a little funny to hear your own bio. Isn't back it? <laughs> Isn't it? And even like, you know, a testimonial, we're like, wow, people said that about me. That's so nice of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, before we officially popped on and started recording, I'm, I'm really, truly honored to have you here and I'm excited. Um, we've known each other just over a year now and I have literally always wanted to sit down and pick your brain. And to me, you know, who you are for me is, is powerful presence. And I, I so respect and admire that. And I know that our listeners today are going to, going to get some of that for sure. Just even hearing your voice um, and your wisdom. So thank you again. Well, thank you, Giovanna. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to dive into your, amazing life beginnings and your story and and really how it is that you got to do the work that you do now. Would you share that with us? Gosh. um, I mean, I think there's pieces of sometimes I I look at my life and I think like, how did I get here? (laughs) And then other times, you know, I can see a lot of the pathways and, and some of it, you know, I think I've been enormously blessed in my life. Um, as you were mentioning before we got on, like I was 
basically born into a Zen Buddhist monastery. And there's a ways that I think I, I can't even actually calculate the impact that that had on my life because it just was my life, you know? Mm. What was that like? Uh, I think about it more sometimes as, so I went back and I actually lived there for three years as an adult. And I spent also a lot of my summers there as a teenager. And sometimes it's easier for me to see like, wow, what I'm most grateful for is that that was the place I could call home and go back to. Because those early years of my life, like it just so much was my life that it's hard for me to even say, what was that like? But the other way that I do look at it is I actually moved with my mother when I was five and we left the monastery proper. And that is actually a dramatic moment in my life. And when I look back, I have virtually no um, specific memories. I have just a couple, but I have no like, like, like those really clear memories from before that time. And then when we moved, all my memories become very, very sharp and clear. And, and so a lot of how I think that those early years in the monastery is I think that I felt so held that it lived almost more in this golden glow if that makes any mm. sense. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think I felt very, you know, one of the things that that afforded me was this real feeling of safety in those very, very early years of my life, that it was a very small community. There were other children there and that it was, it's a small community, but it's also this very small Valley. And so the whole experience was just very held in that space. And, you know, I know it's difficult to sort of look back at something that, you know, that was your normal, right? So it's kind of hard to look back at something like that and really break down how that impacted you. But going forward, you know, into what you then became the founder and creative, a creator of with authentic relating and, and the type of work that you do with deep presence and communication and intimacy, you know, for me as an outsider, it's almost like I look at that and go, well, of course, like, of course that was an influence and came about. And tell us a little bit more about that area of your life and, and maybe how your development, maybe early on of this, you know, deep presence or inner peace has actually affected you throughout your life. Yeah. I think there's two pieces to that. And the first is that I do think that being around, like being surrounded by people who were intentionally, whether they called it a path of personal growth or, or whatever they were calling it at that time, like I think that had a deep impact on me. That basically the people who were closest to me and closest to my family and really that I still feel very close to some of those people in my life. They're very, very dear to me. That being around people who had made such a commitment in their lives to step outside of what might be considered normal or the culture at large and live in a monastery, like that I think can't be underestimated. So some sense of presence or working on yourself or a commitment to something deeper, like that was the field that I grew up in. Mm. even if it wasn't talked about all the time or taught or, you know, to me as a child. And then the second piece is that I remember when I was living in the monastery again, and I was about 19 years old, I, I left college. I basically, I say, I, I always say I left college and I finished in the monastery instead. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, like that was my, that was my training ground. So I was, I was about 19 years old or 20 and 
I looked around and, and this is really not to disparage the, the people or the relationships that were happening in the monastery, but I saw this group of people who were dedicated to awakening and dedicated to this, this personal path. And where at the same time, I could see that there were interpersonal relationships that were still really wonky, or there were things within the community that just weren't talked about, or there was like this other thing. And I thought, what is that? And so even before I had an idea of like going into this realm in terms of my own work, or even before I was thinking about leaving the monastery, um, there was some part of me that was really curious about the interpersonal piece. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting because that experience or I guess observation of that is, sounds like really sparked you on this course of, of looking deeper into what, what makes relating and relationship tick? What does it make it work? Yeah. And what does that, you know, and I, I still like to me, I can just geek out on that. For <laughs> Let's ever. do it. I love geeking out. I love it. <laughs> because I think, you know, I still, when I work with clients or I, I work with groups, there's this dynamic tension, I think, between what is our solo experience or what's our personal experience. And then what is the interpersonal both, you know, say between just you and I, two people, but then also add a third or a fourth or a fifth or a whole room. And what are all these dynamics and that our own personal practices and our own personal commitments, if you will, like that's totally important. And so is this interpersonal piece and they don't necessarily, they do impact each other, but they're not the same. Like me just meditating solo every day won't necessarily improve my interpersonal relationships and me working daily on my interpersonal relationships won't necessarily build this inter like my inner stamina or that. So they're related, but they're not the same. Yeah, I love that point that you just made. Because it's true, you can you can do so much personal work on yourself. And like you said, you can meditate and you can take courses and you can do all of this stuff. But you're really doing it in a vacuum because the test comes when you are in relationship and not, it doesn't even have to be romantic relationship. It could be just in relation with the other. That's when, you know, our mirrors are held up and, and all of, you know, it's really when the tests come, I was just joking with a girlfriend about this the other night and, you know, she was saying, you know, I feel really good. I feel like I've worked out a lot of stuff and, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm ready to start dating. And of course I was comparing notes with her on, on my journey with that as well. And, and then I just started laughing and I thought, well, well, the test will be, <laughs> you know, when that, when that relationship actually comes. So, um, I want to dive right in there actually, since we're, we're, we're going there anyway, let's just dive right yeah. in. <laughs> Let, let the audience know. And, and even for me, right. I'm just so curious, like, tell us what, cause you're a trailblazer in this and we want to hear it right from you. What is authentic relating? How did this come to be? And, and what is it so that the audience can really grasp what that is? It's a great question and I'll do my best. You know, it's, um, we all struggle with this, right? This piece of like, mm. I know, I know what it is that I do, but can I say what it is that I do? <laughs> totally. Um, but I'll start, I think I'll start with a little bit more on the structural side of where that came from. And, and certainly in one sense, it comes from a myriad of different communities and practices that, that, that came together. Some of it, I and others that I worked with just developed on our own. And then other pieces, you know, I'm sure we borrowed some knowingly, some unknowingly. But the, the very first piece of what we called authentic relating, if you will, 
it actually originated my ex-husband's business partner. Um, so my ex-husband and his business partner, that Decker Kunov and Brian Bear, came together to create a program for men called the Authentic Man Program that's still running mm-hmm. today. And we originally, so that was like the first piece that that where I engaged in actually teaching myself. Well, there was it was a course for men, and one part of that was a group of us women who would come in and actually practice with the men in kind of what you semi real life really um, real life exercises, if you will, and then give in the moment feedback about what it was actually like to be with them. Mm-hmm. And then we wanted to create, um, first of all, opportunities for people who were interested, but maybe didn't want to dive into this super deep, intense three day weekend. And then also things for the men who wanted to continue and what we realized was that actually this was this more community thing, even though we started it around this, this men's program, that what grew out of that was um, my then fiancé and I, uh, about every week for a while in our home, <laughs> we had a loft space in San Francisco, and we would have about 30 or 40 people, and we would hold what we called Authentic Relating Games Nights. And the the purpose was really to have fun with this, to explore, to experiment. Um, We would do exercises and different, you know, what we called games, basically, because we wanted them to be fun. And it was creating experiences for people to connect in ways that they might not habitually do on their own. Hmm. Can you give us an example of one of those games or a scenario? Yeah, some of it was, I mean, I would say two staples in our, that, that I, you know, I mean, I still bring, and you've seen some of them, Giovanna, actually, it has some, is just any sentence stem. So putting people in front of each other, and rather than just letting them fall into their habitual, what I, you know, what do you do, and where are you from, and oh, the weather's nice, is having them fill in a sentence stem, um, like what I notice being with you, or what I think you think about me, or something I feel, um, let's see, might be something all the way on the range of like something I feel embarrassed to share with you. Or if you really knew me, you'd know. Mm-hmm. I have and experienced actually, these and they're super yes. powerful. <laughs> and for people listening, it's like, oh, whatever, a sentence stem, but it's not. Because when you're face to face with someone and you're filling that in, that's intimacy at its best, right? <laughs> Yeah. And it's really exactly like you said, which is that when you're actually face to face with someone and then you're filling it in, you could think of all your answers to that just on your own listening to this podcast. But then there's like, oh, I'm standing across from Giovanna and it's what comes up actually in relationship to you in that moment versus me already coming up with these things to share and making a plan about how I'm going to authentically relate. And it really, it created this very, um, I don't know what the word is, but this beautiful community, honestly, because it, there were people who came regularly over and over and it, it allowed people to share with each other in the ways that they were actually longing to, but didn't think they had permission to. Mm. And well, that to me has actually been this key piece that uh, it was about three years in where we started facilitating these events for 
a dating company that was very popular in the Bay Area at the time. And, you know, we'd been running these events for people that you might think would be into them. We were a little, we were in our mid-20s and we were kind of, you know, edgy San Francisco types. And you're like, yeah, yeah, those are the authentic relating people. But we started, the the dating company worked mostly with people who were more middle-aged, you know, like I'm closer to where I'm at now, but this was 15 years ago, um, and older. So they were distinctly older than us. They were very professional. Um, A lot of them had their own businesses. They owned their homes. They had been married. They had children. They had been divorced. They were, you know, so they were a different subset of people. And it was, there were two pieces about that. And one was that it really gave me this opportunity to see like, this works with anybody. This isn't just your young 27 somethings who want to try something new. These people also loved it. And they were creating connections in ways that, that they also expressed like, oh, I've been wanting this. Mm. And then the other piece that kept coming up and it um, really percolated for me for a while was they, they would say, well, you gave us permission. Yeah. But I heard that over and over and over from so many people that I thought, my God, like, what if we're all just waiting for permission? And I'm sitting here (laughs) hoping the person next to me will give me permission. And they're hoping that I'll give them permission. And we're all afraid we don't have permission. And then we're just like dying to connect in this way. I love that you just said that. And I'm so happy I I let you finish that thought with the the professionals that came into play and seeing that everybody wants this. And you used the word earlier, longing. And it's something that in my experience, you know, I remember when you first ran uh, your intimacy workshop early last year that I attended as a part of um, one of Rich Litvin's events. And you ran it with with John, um, who you do these with quite quite often and John Wyland for everyone listening. And it was amazing to me because I was, I was terrified to do it. And yet as soon as we were in that, you know, beautiful, amazing, safe incubator that you guys create with, by the way, not just like eight people or 10 people, like we're talking, there was like a hundred people there, I think, or close to. Yes. And just starting with the sentence stems and being in front of another human being, there was that sense of, you know, your shoulders drop and it's, it is edgy and scary at first, but at the same time, it's that longing that is being fulfilled, that essential longing to connect on a real way, you know, authentic way. Um, and I'm so happy you used that word because that's, that was my experience and has been every time I've attended one of your events of, of just this permission and letting go and yeah, having that longing fulfilled. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it feels good to hear like in some way, right. That longing's never totally fulfilled because mm-hmm. we just, you know, for our whole lives, but I feel the sense of fulfillment hearing that from you because I'm like, yes, that's what I want to offer people is that that part of them can actually be met. Yeah. And, well, um, you do. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad. Yeah. So I would love if you could share with us and, you know, we'll bounce back and forth here on different things. And I'm sure this will lead us down other little rabbit holes. But I would love if you could share something practical that maybe the women and even the men that are going to be listening to this can take home to their relationships to whatever they may be romantic or otherwise. Um, but I think romantic is the one that really, you know, pushes us and tests us the most, right? Is there anything practical that you can give the listeners right now that they can kind of experiment with in this area? 
Mm, that's a great question. I'll start by saying that I am constantly doing this in my own relationships as well. And partly I say that to set it up that I, I think at whatever, you know, if you want to call it a level or a layer, like wherever you're at, either in your relationship or in your experience of relating in this way, it's still applicable. And the other part I want to set up is I still get nervous. Like, <laughs> so if it feels edgy or feels scary or you're like, oh, that just know in, I mean, and maybe this sounds scary, but there's a way that it never really goes away. And I think that's okay. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's normal. It's fine. It's so normal. <laughs> I mean, I really did. Like I, I, I brought a whole new piece to my partner not that long ago and I was so nervous that I got the giggles for five minutes. <laughs> And then I was embarrassed because he'd sat there with me for five minutes while I had a giggle fit. And then I, you know, like it just had layers and then I was like, okay, here's the thing. So, um, I love that your nervousness comes out in giggles. I like sit there and like <laughs> sob and not like, I like the ugly cry. It's not even like, I love that yours is giggles. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it can be, you know, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. So, oh, here, here's what I would offer. And and this is, you know, again, it takes a little setup and you can either play it a little more formally or you can play it a little more informally. Um, but there's something that is actually beautiful about setting a container, even if you're with a friend or you're with your lover or you're with your partner. Um, sometimes I think we get into this idea that that, oh, it should all happen naturally. And if it doesn't happen naturally, then it's, it's contrived. It's not authentic, but containers hold us. So that said, um, I'll, I'll explain the game that we play in some of our events and then talk a little bit about how you can apply that in a more casual way. And, and just for the, also for the people listening as well, if, if you could explain a little bit about what, what is a container? Like, what does that mean? And how do I, how do I set that up? Is that, a bubble bath, a bottle of wine. What's the container? <laughs> cool. That's, a that's such a great question, Yvonne. It's so good. And so sometimes we call it container. Sometimes I call it context, setting context. And both of these are things, you know, I can give a little brief piece right here. Um, I t we teach them very deeply in the program that John Wineland and I lead together and in the Authentic Relating Comprehensive in different ways. So these are things that we dive into incredibly deeply, but it, w it is setting. It's the, it's the thing that has people say, Oh, you gave us permission. It's saying, Hey, I want to feel closer to you. You know, will you try something with me? And letting that person say like, yeah, sure. And then telling them what it is and how long you're going to do it for, right? Like set people up so that they actually know what's happening and that they're not there all night. Like, <laughs> right. So ladies don't corner your husbands or significant others, you know, at the dinner table, you know, clear the table. Okay. We're going to talk because that doesn't ever go over well. It's not a good container. <laughs> yeah. We need to have a talk is, is, uh, that's a challenging one, but Hey, I, you know, I, I'm really wanting to feel closer to you. When's a good time for us, even for, especially if you're a woman talking to a man, said even ahead of time checking in when's a good time then gives them that opportunity to go like, Oh, it's, it's not right now. I just got home from work, but I'd love to do that with you at seven or tomorrow night. I can make sure that I'm ready. Right. So that in and of itself is actually starting to set the container or set context and allow them to meet you there so that they're actually ready for it. And then you both have more fun. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and I, and also too, I guess when we, in a sense as, as women being, I guess more the, I shouldn't say more the, cause men are just as feeling I find, but we just operate on a different level. I find men need that time. Like they can't just be, you know, bombarded at the door. <laughs> Come sit yes. down. I want to do this thing with you. It's like, what? Wait, I was, I was just, I was going to go, you know, have a beer or whatever, have a bath yeah. or yeah. I mean, the thing I would say about the, like the, the, it's both the male body and the masculine makeup, which are not, I mean, women are like this when we're in our masculine too, yeah. but there is also something to the actual male physiology. So they're, they're both there in a man, especially if he's come home from work is that they're very single focused and it's part of what we love about them. Like, oh, they can really focus on something or, oh, they can take care. You know, there's, there, it's actually like, oh, I love that, that capacity and women have disperse attention more naturally. It's both the, it's both the female actual physiology and it comes, you know, partly from thousands of years of like watching the children and gathering the berries and aware of what's happening with the fire. And, you know, that's, that actually we've, we've cultivated that in ourselves and then the feminine nervous system, which is just, it's just everything. It's all the feelings. It's seeing the flowers outside at the same time that I'm thinking about this. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know that. like, so we have, so we're like, just be like that. It's really fun over yeah. here. And they're like, Oh I, my God, you're fritzing my nervous system. You know? <laughs> totally. So. Totally. It's, I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a gift and a curse, right? <laughs> On both sides. You know, exactly. Appreciating how it's going like, Oh, you're like that. Like, cool. You're not supposed to be like me. Yeah, I love that. I love, thank you for dropping that in and how to set up the container in a nurturing, permissive way. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So the game, the way that we would play it, kind of like dropping back into that, it's something we call curiosity. And it's, it's generally, I would say, just start by playing it one-on-one. But the idea is that you actually tease apart these roles that we're often playing in conversation of asking questions and responding, being curious and being responsive. And in our, our more habitual conversations, we both play both all the time. And it's part of what I think leads us to not dropping deeper because we're always on alert for what's the next question I should ask and how am I going to respond? And, um, rather than just dropping into one role at a time. So when we play curiosity, only one person asks questions and the other person only responds for a set period of time, you know, three minutes, five minutes. And for the question asker, this is also what I would call setting the container or setting context is saying nothing's off limits. You can ask any question you want. It doesn't matter how deep or how frivolous or off topic or like anything is you can ask any question and the only rule is you have to actually be curious. Wow. I can literally feel people listening to this suddenly getting butterflies in their stomach with like, holy shit, what do you mean they could ask anything? But right. what, what that is the ultimate safety and intimacy in a relationship, isn't it? it? It is. And the other side of that is the person answering the question that their role is to answer in the way that's true for them right now. And that might be a one word response that might be sharing more deeply than they've ever shared in their life. And it might be saying, I don't feel comfortable answering that right now. And that by each person kind of agreeing to these pieces, they actually give the other person permission. 
Oh, I like that. I really like that. So there's the, you set as part of the container and sort of the ground rules, your healthy boundaries, right? Like I, I don't feel comfortable answering that right now. Right. But yeah. you don't set it up as a boundary ahead of time. You acknowledge that you'll do that in the moment. Mm. And that allows the person asking the questions to ask whatever they want, because they know that you'll say like, actually, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that one right now. And the other person's been set up that that's okay. So they don't have to actually close their heart to do it. Oh, I like that. I like that. So not ahead of time, but rather just saying in the moment, I'll sort of a moment to moment discretion. Right. Yeah. And so then that gives each other, it gives both people permission to actually be there and just for the person asking questions to just follow like, gosh, what am I really curious about? What do I really want to know about you? If I could ask you anything I wanted, which is we've just set the context that you can, what would I really ask you? And the other person just gets to respond in the moment with no pressure to have a conversation or to ask a question in response. And the beauty of this game is I've played this game and I've watched people play this game with people that they have only met for the very first time and literally been in tears or the response I get a lot when I lead this with people who are strangers to each other is I had no idea I could feel this intimate with someone that I just met in three minutes. Yeah, yeah. that, that was my experience. I'm, this is one of the, the games that we, I've played, I think twice with you now in the container that you and John set up at one of your uh, workshops. And it is, it's, it's quite intense. And what I love about it also is that you know, we tend to, by nature, be me-focused, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're in this bubble oftentimes of what's going on with our lives and, and what are we feeling? And, and this is such a moment of genuine curiosity for another person that it really, it demands that, it, that you be taken out of your me-centered focus. So mm -hmm. I, I found when I started doing it, I was like originally like, I don't even know. I, I don't even know what I want to know with this person. I don't know what I want to ask. And just dropping into that it's about them and my curiosity, it, it allowed me to kind of just, you know, get over myself, as they say. And it does create a moment of intimacy because you're, you're like you said, you're being curious about another. And it's a, it's a very interesting, deep exploration was my experience. And you can develop intimacy, like you said, in three minutes with someone you don't even know mm -hmm. as a result. And on the flip side, I have done this exercise and I've seen other people do it also with someone that they're already in partnership with or that they've known for a very, very long time. And I had also that experience, like literally my partner and I at the, at the time did this together and we were in tears. And so the beauty of... This is where this, this kind of work is so amazing in relationship. It's so easy to think we know a person after mm. a certain period of time. And honestly, there's a building of intimacy in our, in our knowing on a certain level of another person, but there's actually a little bit of a loss of that real intimacy as soon as we think we know that person and that they're set like, I know who they are. I know what they like. I no, need, no longer need to put my attention on them like they're a miracle in this moment. Oh, my God. That is so good. That is so good. That is definitely going to be a tweetable. Somehow. <laughs> I got to shorten that and make that a tweetable from this. <laughs> I love that because how many people do we speak to, you know, whether they're clients or our friends or people that we know that 
you know, they, they've lost that love and feeling or the spark is gone. And I think you're right. I think a large part of that has to do with this kind of dissolving or fraying of intimacy. And that's beautiful the way you said it, simply for the fact that we're not looking at the other person as this ever evolving, changing miracle and being curious about them. Like I have goosebumps. Just, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I, I actually think that combined with what you spoke to around um, that habit of being me centered, mm. we're, we're just, we are, it's, it's okay. It's normal. Like we all it's do human. it. <laughs> yeah. And we're me centered while we walk down the street and we're me centered, you know, like all these things, but we also are in, in our relation, our intimate relationships or even our friendships. And that this piece of getting outside of ourselves and looking at the other person and then simultaneously continuing to remember, like, I don't know them. Who are they right now? Those two things together, you know, I mean, really, if you just took that away, like your relationships would transform, they would never be the same. Yeah, I definitely, I can definitely see how that would make such a huge, huge difference. That mutual, that continued mutual work towards curiosity and and understanding of the other as opposed to the assumptions that we often make, you know, in our, like you said, our humanness, right? This is, this is what we do. I love that. I love it. I love it. Um, I have been, well, I want to ask you this. I want to drop this in here because one of the exercises that I've done with you twice now is, I don't even know, I don't even know what you call it because I don't remember because it's so profound and like earth shattering. At the end of it, you're just kind of like, what just happened there? But I know something amazing happened. It's the exercise where, you put us in a triad. So you put us in three people Mm -hmm. and we are to embody like the physicality of, and the emotion around something that we're holding. And I think the last time we did it, it was around, um, you had given us a sentence stem. I think it might've even been around a family thing, or maybe that's just what I brought into it, but it's this, um, this exercise where, two other people are not just witnessing you be in your free emotion, but they're really holding the space and container of safety for you. And it's, it's so intimate and it's so powerful. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that and, you know, you can correct me, tell me what it's called and and how it's done. And this, by the way, I don't think is something you'd probably just do in your living room with two other friends. You want a facilitator um, to go through something like this, but could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. And, and to that first piece, you know, there is this real value in putting yourself in containers to practice like deep practice containers. You can take a retreat to go do yoga or to do meditation, or you can take a workshop where someone else holds the space, whether you do that solo or whether you do it with a partner, there is a real value because there are places that we can go sometimes you know, it happens in therapy. It happens in coaching also because mm-hmm. somebody else holds the container. So and important. Yeah. So that's super, it's super valuable. And, and then there's the work that we can take out of that into our lives and the ways that it's applicable. So they're both true. It kind of goes back to that first piece of like our own deep inner work and then our interpersonal work and then how, you know, how this works in our lives. So all of that is, is really important. And I know that I actually have a name for that because there's different ways that that expresses itself um, when John and I teach together or in other containers and other courses that I lead and depending on the, the people and what they're there for. 
so the piece that I would speak to is is twofold, which is around is first around embodiment and expression. Mm-hmm. And then the second piece is around what is possible when we're held and witnessed in love. And and this actually goes back a little bit to that piece between solo practice and relational practice, that there's a lot of um, work that we can do on ourselves that is incredibly powerful and very important. And there are some things that, at least in my experience, don't quite get touched until they're witnessed and witnessed in love. Mm. And I would say the very definition of uh, like transforming shadow into something else is where we bring something that is hidden forward and it's witnessed in love. I love so, that. Yeah, whether that is, you know, an expression of something that comes from our family or something that has to do with fear or a part of ourselves that we don't express in front of other people. Like, again, the, the format that you're speaking to is, I would say, almost infinite in the ways that it could be played with. That's what that is a really key piece that you pulled out, which is that it's witnessed in love. Yeah, I love that you dropped that in there much, much more eloquently than I tried to describe it, by the way. But that's exactly. Yeah, that was my experience of it. And and I think the piece that I, I would love to draw out of that is for the audience more in particular is is that is the importance of, you know, we we bottle a lot up. And, and like you said, a lot of it can be processed on your own. And sometimes you can be doing that work in a vacuum. But the actual um, you know, experience that I had was, number one, give, being given the permission to go there, knowing that I was in a safe container. And the witnessing part of it was, it made it okay that I could have that emotion, whether it was anger or rage or feeling unloved or whatever it was that came up in the moment for myself and the other members of the the triad that I was part of. It was, it was the power of someone witnessing you and saying, that's okay. That that emotion could start to, I don't know, it's like it loosens its grip on you. Like, oh, okay. I don't have to judge myself for that anymore. Absolutely. And, and the, the piece that I want to add to that is we free others at the same time. Like mm. I, I have no idea who was in your triad, <laughs> but I, I can guarantee, and I don't even know what you brought with. So without knowing any of that, I can guarantee that your expression served them. So they, they witnessed you in love and that had this whole deep process for you or impact on you. And I guarantee that something was freed in them where they said like, oh, it's actually okay to be like that because she just showed it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Because I, of course, I was the recipient on and caring and witnessing on the other flip side when we switched, you know, person. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah, I can totally attest to that. And just, I also felt such a deep feeling of reverence and gratitude that somebody let mm. me into that. It was just, oh, I love that. Yeah. It was just this honor of like, oh my gosh, thank you. Like, like I have goosebumps now talking about it. It Thank you for letting me in on that. Yeah. And then we don't, I mean, we can kind of conceptually get it. And then when we're in the moment, we think like, there's no way this is a gift, but it really is. Yeah. And then I, and I don't want to miss this piece of, which is, you know, embodied expression. And this happens both solo and being witnessed in love. And I don't want to hate here, but I also, you know, I got to say like in some ways women and like coaches or personal growth junkies, like we're the worst (laughs) 
because we can talk about things so much and we, we get it. We understand why we are the way we are mm-hmm. and what had us be the way. And like, we can talk about it. We can process, we can process. And you know, there's value in that. I, I'm not saying there's no value in it, but there's a limit. And so those of us who have that capacity and we're so self-aware and we can really, you know, like we know all of it already, (laughs) um, (laughs) there is this other, yeah, (laughs) there there is this other piece, which is actually expressing it through our bodies and like letting go of the words, you know, there can be sound, but it's not words and then the full bodied expression. And one of the reasons why a container like a workshop is valuable is, is like you said, there's the permission. So we can, I had this experience recently where I was working, um, basically a shame, like, or not, a, not exactly a shame, but like a shadow process and a, a part of myself that got triggered that was around, um, not being taken care of and like, gets really freaked out and nobody sees me and nobody listens to me. And there's like a, there's a part of me like this. And I, so I was working it on my own because that's just the space I, or I had it held for a short period by, um, a friend and a colleague. And, and then I said, oh yeah, I'm totally going to go do more of this. Um, when we get off the phone and I had to go do something for my kids first. And then I came back and I didn't feel it anymore. And I was like, oh, it's not really there. It's not really authentic. Like I'm not, I'm not feeling it. (laughs) <laughs> or it's gone. I resolved right. it. Like I do that too. I'm like, Oh, I'm good with it now. I'm good. I don't feel yeah, it. Or it's just like, like, <laughs> well, I'll wait till, you know, like it's like, I, like, why would I generate it when it's not really there? And frankly, that's just the nature of shadow is it will, it will take any excuse to hide and doesn't want to be seen and expressed. That, that, that's why it lives in the shadows is that there's some reason. And so for me, again, I can do this on my own, but I, I also admittedly have a lot of practice with this. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, is it okay for me to swear? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I was like, fuck it. You know what? I know enough to know that I should just do it anyway. And so I did, and I just brought it up and I fully expressed that part. And again, it was, it was sound and there was like, you know, the arms waving and there was like my legs kicking or there was the full bodied expression that, that moves something that cannot be moved through words. Yes. So I literally, the last time prior to learning to do this more, and I st- I'm still like, I'm, I'm not there hundred percent. I'm still uptight about it. But like the last time I remembered actually being, giving myself permission to be embodied and express something physically was like, I could literally just see myself at like, I don't know, eight or five having a temper tantrum and kids do it so great. Don't they? They just fully express like fully embodied. And there's something that happens as we grow older and you know, I realized in that, you know, one of the very first workshops I did around this work, which was several years ago, how uptight I was <laughs> around, around that embodied piece. But then after giving myself and again, being in a container where there's permission and, and safety to do it, it was so freeing and whatever had to move through me in terms of a shadow piece or whatever it was, I found moved through me quicker Yes. Just sitting there and journaling and doing all the intellectual gymnastics that I was used to doing. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like, I mean, I don't know if I want to say harder exactly, but there is, there's like, we have very, can have very strong resistance to doing it, but it, it really, it can move so fast and what years of therapy can, um, you know, or journaling our own self work 
and then can literally be done in 15 minutes. Amazing. I love it. And that is, I mean, I would say that is why John and I teach the workshops that we teach. So I'm we so teach happy you dropped workshops. that in because yeah. that's where I was going to go next. Because we keep mentioning John, and it's like he's this like who is John? He's the ghost <laughs> in the podcast. Like everyone's like, who is this John guy? Could you yeah. tell us a little? I have another fun question to ask you, but could you draw? Because we've dropped this is a perfect segue. We've dropped him yeah. in so many times. Tell us about John and uh, and these workshops you do because I'm sure there's people listening that are you know, not going to try it on their own. And definitely some things you, you shouldn't, or maybe shouldn't is not a good word, but would be safer, feel safer to do in, in a container that would love to come and join you or you both. Can you tell mm-hmm. us who he is? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you can, I mean, you can also go just dive in and see who he is. His website is johnwineland.com. And he and I work most, I would say there's two, two distinct pieces, but the, the workshops that we lead are more specifically in the realm of romantic, intimate relationships. And not necessarily that they're for couples or that you have to be in a romantic, intimate relationship to come, but that's the, that's the realm that we work in. Um, but we work a lot with this piece of embodiment because that, I mean, really we got born into bodies. If we weren't meant to be embodied, we just wouldn't have been born in this realm. Mm. And, but our, our culture at large and the speed at which we move and all it, they, it doesn't encourage that on a regular basis. So we're out of habit. We're out of habit of, you know, the, the kind of breath that it takes to be embodied, the, the various practices that it takes both to, to actually practice embodiment again in a solo way and to stay embodied when we're in a relational moment, all the way from a conversation to, you know, something where you're asking for what you want from a partner all the way, you know, frankly to sex, like a lot of people eject from their bodies in those intense sexual moments. And then they wonder why they're not fulfilled. Mm. So we teach both in the realm of just, you know, your practitioner and um, wanting to have these deeper relationships, more intimacy in your life. And the six month program that we lead, the Relationship and Intimacy Salon, is also for practitioners, facilitators, and coaches to not only take this into their personal lives, but to begin to learn the skills of how they might bring this to their clients. I love that. Thank you for dropping that in. Beautiful. Um, And I can say personally from having participated with John and Kendra that you will not regret attending ever. Like, and, and, and one of the pieces now before my fun piece, I have to bring in, cause I was hearing you talk about this and I was remembering my experience and, you know, a lot of the listeners, mainly women that are going to be listening, but some men as well. But for the women listening, you know, I wanted to share with you guys some of, you know, the results and, and maybe Kendra, you can speak quickly to this as well. One of the things I found from doing this work, both doing some of it before having met you, Kendra, and then the stuff that you and John do together and participating in that, is it started to blossom, is, is a good word for me, just this really solid kind of grounded confidence in me that as a grown woman, I don't know if I experienced to that depth prior to starting to do this work. And I, I wonder... If you can touch on that piece just a little bit with, you know, both your own experience and what 
you observe with the women in particular, since this podcast is dedicated to shaking them up. Um, what have you noticed around that? Cause that was my experience. And when I first started, it was like terrifying, like, Oh my God, I'm going to come undone. But it was, it was the exact thing I needed mm-hmm. to feel good. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I love hearing that too, especially around like a grounded confidence. And mm. although I don't know that we would you know, use those words when we're describing it, you spoke to something that I, that I have, that I do feel personally, and that I do see women come away with, and especially women. Some of that I do think comes the, the amount of energy that we use to sort of resist or hide or change parts of ourselves. (laughs) And when we really come into the embodiment piece, it's like, oh, I, I am all of me. You can even as like, there's a way when I, when I say that, like, I want to make this round emotion and like sit down more firmly. Mm. Oh, I'm here. All of me is here. And, and through practices like the one that you mentioned, Giovanni, then you have the, it reflected to you also, oh, all of you is here and it's okay. I love that. Thank yeah. You. And, um, what I really have heard in a very, well, what I would say in a very like practical, tangible way, both in my life and then in the women who I work with is specifically around wanting what you want and being able to ask for what you want, both, um, romantically, sexually, professionally. Like I see that across the board that there's this dropping into even being able to know what you want and then find the ways to bring that forward that feel good to you, that feel good to the other person or people, and where they're just much more like you're much more likely to actually get what you want. Oh my! I literally want to jump up and down in my chair with that yeah. one. <laughs> I'm just like yes, 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 yes. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And and you know which one of us women does not need more of that? I thank you for sharing that. I love that. Love it. Love it. Okay. So here's for my fun one. Okay. This is my fun, like last question because so one of my family nicknames is the witch doctor. I kid you not. And I come from a family where natural remedies and, and plant life are, were the thing, you know, I remember going back to Italy, uh, seven years ago and my dad was taking us around, you know, the farmland and everywhere we stopped, he's like, so this plant is good for this. And this plant is good if you burn yourself and this one's good. And, you know, my niece who was with me at the time kind of looked at me and said, oh God, this is where you get it from. So it was kind of a funny moment, <laughs> but I had to laugh because I was on your website. And one of the things that you list about yourself is that your one of your superpowers is identifying edible plants. And that at one time you spotted the only ripe mango <laughs> on an entire tree while driving 50 miles per hour on a twisted road. Do tell Kendra, what is that all about? <laughs> oh my God. It's such a fun story. And I actually just, just, just hearing you say that though, I'm like, Oh my God, we're like sisters. <laughs> I, I totally am. I, I had this child that I used to nanny for. I remember she looked at me one time and she was like, Kendra, you know, everything about plants. And I was like, well, not everything, but like a lot, I guess, <laughs> maybe relatively. I mean, this is an amazing survival skill too. I mean, I, I can't identify edible plants, but I'm pretty good in the plant kingdom, but, and definitely with my little potions and oils and stuff, but I yeah, read the this. Edible, and the herbal, the, the, the medicinal. Yeah. Um, I was in Hawaii with my then fiance and we were driving down the road that takes you to Kealakakua Bay, which is where like you can, you know, go swim with dolphins just in the wild. And mm. we were driving and there was this 
mango, I guess, you know, I mean, it was a mango tree because there's a mango on it, but I didn't even really see that. It was just like, you know, it's very, very windy. And I was like, stop, <laughs> there's a mango, like we have to eat that mango. <laughs> and to his credit, he did. And when I got out and realized I was like, it's like on this cliff, like I couldn't actually get to it. And I, um, I picked up a rock and I fully, and I don't even know where this comes from. Cause I don't have like great throwing or aim skills. Like that's not my superpower, <laughs> but, um, but I, 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 I threw this rock and I like beamed it out of a tree on the first try and it came down and we went and like ate this mango and it was but fantastic. So do you have like this laser vision? Did you smell it? Did you like intuitively I know? Laser, I think it's like <laughs> laser vision because, and I used to do this when I lived in, I mean, I do it here too, but it's kind of everywhere. So it's less, um, you know, I live in more like a small town that has a lot of fruit trees around. But when I lived in Berkeley, I had like a, it was like a mental map in my mind. We'd drive around and be like, oh my God, that's an apricot tree. Oh my God, that's a da, 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 da. And like, I knew where all the ones were that were hanging over fences or like in public areas. Like Amazing. I have, I have for it, like foraging somehow in my, in my DNA. <laughs> I love that. Well, I give credit to my dad because when he helped me identify, like I can identify those things by the shape of the leaves. Because when I was little, we had every kind of tree in the backyard and I had to ask you about that because when I read that on your website, totally unrelated, but completely related to me. (laughs) Kendra, I've loved having you here. I've loved this conversation and every conversation we have, but I've I've loved that you're here and so honored and thankful that you shared your wisdom and your knowledge with us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This is really fun, Giovanna. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And everyone listening, please go to KendraKunov.com. The uh, address will be in the show notes, um, along with some other information about Kendra and um, some of the information about the workshops that she has upcoming with John uh, Wineland. And I'm so, so happy again to have you here. Tune in next week, guys, where we're going to have another amazing guest and sending you so much love. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising everyone for books and resources related to today's episode make sure you head over to sherisespodcast.com and i'll see you there if you've enjoyed today's episode make sure you tune back in next week when i dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be and hey if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it head on over to itunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show 